So this week in Uvalde, we were reminded again that we live in a broken world full of broken people and that tragedy and horror can come in a heartbeat. And just like you, I've had the same thoughts all week. I've been thinking about what those kids experienced. in a place where they felt safe. In a face, place that they felt loved and surrounded by their friends, they experienced evil and betrayal and fear and pain that I can't even imagine. And I keep thinking about their parents that dropped off their second grader or third grader or fourth grader that day. Kids just like ours. Kids just like ours. Some of them were missing teeth. Right? Some of them clothes didn't match that day. Some of them were excited about an award they were going to win that day. Some of them were laughing at a fart joke on the way to church or on the way to school. Kids just like ours. And this is supposed to be the fun week of school, right? This is the last week. It was field trips and parties and awards and cupcakes. And those kids got out of the car or they walked out of the house or they got on the bus just like every other day, just like our kids. And their parents haven't seen them alive since. And they won't this side of heaven. And every time they picture their kids, they see these horrific images of their babies. And those images will haunt them forever. Just like you. I keep thinking of those kids. I keep thinking of those parents. And I think of the collateral damage. I mean, who knows how even our kids will be affected by this. And what this does to their faith or their trust or their hope or their joy. I keep thinking about the kids and the teachers and the faculty and the first responders that were there. It's unimaginable pain. It is unbearable hurt. You know the word I keep thinking of this week? It's not sadness. It's despair. It's like sadness and hopelessness mixed together, and it's all around us, man. It's not just in Uvalde. It's not just this week. It's our whole world is broken. You know, in, in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago, a man went into a grocery store with a rifle and killed 12 people, and he left a note, and in that note he said his number one objective was to kill as many black people as he could. Our world is broken, man. On the other side of the planet, an evil president is attacking innocent civilians and destroying hospitals and schools and families. He's killing innocent people by the thousands. Civilians, by the thousands. And you know why? So that on the map we can move by one inch the line, right? So that he can improve his power by that much. Our world is broken. Even in the church, 
You know, some stuff came out this week. The, the largest Protestant denomination in the world has been enabling and covering up for church leaders and pastors who have been abusing hundreds of people that they're supposed to be pointing to Jesus. And it's not just that denomination. I mean, you can't read a day's news without seeing some pastor that sexually exploited some vulnerable woman or a child. Our, our world is broken. And maybe in your family, you've experienced the brokenness of this world firsthand, and you've seen violence and addiction and abuse and suicide. The world's broken. And this thing in Uvalde is a horrible, painful reminder of how broken our world is. And the evil in our world is sad and horrible and incomprehensible. And for people like us that believe in a powerful, loving God that we say is in control, brings up questions, real questions, hard questions. Is God even real? Why would he allow stuff like this to happen? We say God is omnipresent, but if God is everywhere, where was he Tuesday? Where was he a couple of weeks ago in Buffalo? Where was he when Russian soldiers were bombing a maternity hospital? Where was he when these pastors were raping people and the church was covering it up? Maybe your kids are asking you hard questions right now. Maybe you've got some hard questions right now. I know I do. So first of all, you need to know that it's okay that you have these questions. God can handle our questions. God can handle even our doubts. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man that was ever born. He baptized Jesus. The day that he baptized Jesus, the skies opened up. Remember the dove came down and God's voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet when John the Baptist was faced with evil and violence, even he had doubts. Even he had fears. Jesus' disciples, lots of them, had doubts. And after the resurrection, had doubts and had fear and had questions. But Jesus didn't get mad at them. He didn't answer all their questions. But he still loved them. And he still believed in them, even when they were having trouble believing in him. And if you're struggling with doubt right now and with questions right now, can I tell you something? It's, it's okay. He may not answer all your questions the way that you'd like, but he's not mad at us for asking the questions. And he loves you, even if it's hard for you to love him right now. And he believes in you, even if it's hard for you to believe in him right now. God gave us a brain. It's okay that we have these questions. And as your pastor, I desperately today wanted to give you some answers. I had a great idea to do a tragedy Q&A, right? Questions and answers. But the problem is I've got more Q's than A's myself because each question just leads to another question. So today, instead of a Q&A, we're just gonna call this what it is. It's just 
It's just questions. And we're gonna kick around some of the questions that your kids might be asking you. And some of the questions that you might be asking yourself. And some of the questions that I'm asking. And not that we'll answer them all. Like I said, nobody's gonna walk out of here today and say, oh, you know, we solved that. You know, we don't have to feel sad anymore. We don't have to feel bad anymore. I just really want us to see God as clearly as possible. And sometimes it's hard to see in the darkness and it's really dark right now. So I want us to make an effort to really see God in this. And we believe that his word is a lamp, right? His word is, is light and so hopefully it'll help us. But please don't hear me saying that I understand all this or that I'm comfortable with these answers. I just think some healing might begin when we just acknowledge and ask the questions. So I guess the biggest question that comes up at a time like this is, is God even real? You know, some people would say that events like what happened in Uvalde this week prove that there is no God or that there is a God and he is too weak to do anything about it. Or if there is a God and he's not weak, then he just doesn't care. And I could see why people would say that. It's so horrible and it's so senseless. But I don't think that that proves that God isn't real. In fact, I think we might see some evidence of God in this. And not in the stuff that happened, but in our reaction to it. Because if there is no God, and we're just living in an impersonal universe of cold, random indifference, why should we be so shocked at what's happening in Uvalde or what's going on right now in Ukraine? And why is this so upsetting to us? Why is it such a big deal? I mean, why have we all been so sad this week over people that we don't even know and over events that don't really affect our lives all that much? And why have we watched these interviews on the news through so many tears? If we really are just highly evolved, intelligent animals, survival of the fittest and all that, then why would we care if a child is murdered? And I think we care and we cry and we curse when we see the weak and the, and the vulnerable hurt because we're created in the image of a God that loves people. We're created in the image of a God that loves vulnerable people. We're created in the image of a God that loves justice. And so we're offended and we're outraged and we're crushed when we see the weak and the vulnerable hurt because we're made in the image of a God who feels the same way. Genesis 1.27 says God made us in his, he made human beings in his image. We're, we're like him. So some things that break his heart break ours. So I can't prove that God exists Faith is believing something that you can't prove, but this, even in this unspeakable tragedy, I actually see evidence of God in our outrage and in our despair. Again, it's not a great answer, but I think it at least speaks to the question, is God real? And it just like I said, it just brings up another question. Right? If, if all this stuff breaks God's heart, 
Why does he allow it to happen? If all this stuff breaks, why, if he's in control, and if he's powerful, and if he cares, I mean, people are being killed. Kids are being killed. Pastors are abusing the people they're supposed to be loving. What's, what's going on? What, why would God allow these things to happen? And again, I'm not saying I have a great answer, but let's, if we could just like kick this around a little bit, if God is real, then what's happening? You know, why is he allowing this to go on? And this one actually goes back to the creation story too, because once God made humans in his own image, he gave them free will. And I'm gonna talk to him about that someday. Because he let them decide whether to trust him and what he called good and what he called evil. He let them decide whether to really love him back and really be with God or if they wanted to distrust him and to try to decide for themselves what was good and evil and to try to be God. And that's when Satan came into the world and deceived humanity into distrusting God and choosing their version of good and evil. And mankind made that decision in the garden and we've been making it ever since. And this guy in Buffalo and this kid in Uvalde, they had a choice to do what was good in God's eyes or to do what was evil in God's eyes. God gave them that choice. And he's given that choice to President Putin and he's given that choice to all those preachers. And they all made the same choice as Adam and Eve. And those choices affect a lot of people in really horrific ways. But even, even with that, I don't think God's off the hook that easy because you still, like, why, right? Why did God give man free will? He created us. Why didn't he just create us good, right? Why didn't he just wire people to always do what's good and what's kind and what's loving? Why free will? He's still got an answer for that. Why free will? And this is a hard one to understand. But I think God gave us free will because he wanted us to experience real love. And he knew it wouldn't be real love if we didn't choose it. So imagine if I, if I really wanted somebody to love me and to depend on me completely and to see me as her God, then there's something I could do. I could kidnap her and tie her up and blindfold her and lock her in my basement. And the only time she would see the light would be when I turned it on. And the only time she ever ate was when I fed her. And the only water that she ever got was when I gave it to her. And she might hate me at first, but after a time, she would come to know that I'm the only light and the only food and the only water that she's gonna get. And after a while, she would kinda see me as God. And after a while, she would realize that she was fully dependent on me. And after a while, that would be kinda like her loving me. It wouldn't be me loving her very well. 
But God loved us more than that. And God wanted us to love him for real. God wanted us to choose to love him, so he let us choose so that we could experience real love. He didn't want robots that were programmed to say I love you. He didn't want animals that were conditioned to do what was right. He didn't want prisoners that had no choice but to depend on him. He wanted a relationship with people who chose to love him back. And listen, humanity's made a mess out of it. But God actually gave us something amazing. He gave us free will. He gave us a chance to experience real love. And when we get it right, it's, it's beautiful. And someday when he makes things new again in the kingdom, we're going back to Eden. Only this time, we're gonna make right choices because we will be a new humanity that's led and empowered by his spirit. So as horrible as these things are, I think the stuff that's happening now is not really anything new. It's, it's people deceived by Satan choosing to do horrible things instead of trusting God's way. So I think that's kind of why God is allowing this stuff to happen. He's, he's given us free will and he knows that it's a huge risk. But he also knows that real love is worth that risk. So again, not saying it answers the question, but in this horrible darkness, this helps me see God a little more clearly. But again, it just leads to more questions, right? Now here's a good one for you. If God loves us so much, where is he, right? So human beings are making these choices or whatever, but where's God when that's going on? Where was God when these kids are murdered? What is, what is God's response to these bad decisions and horrible choices that humans keep making? What's he doing? What's he doing? Like, where was God when that man shot up that grocery store? Where was God Tuesday in Uvalde when these babies are being killed? It's a fair question. It's a hard question. But I'll tell you what I think. I think he was doing something that a lot of us have done. I think he was crying over his children. And I think he was experiencing the same despair that some of us have felt when people that we love so much just keep hurting themselves and just keep hurting other people. And some of you know what it is to see your kids or to see people that you love make choices that bring death. And just like a perfect father, God loves every one of those kids in Uvalde and their families and their survivors and the teachers and the emergency responders and even the kid that killed them. He loves them completely and he loves them perfectly. I mean, how horrible for him to watch what went on that day. I'll tell you where God was on Tuesday. He was weeping in complete despair. And that's where he's been countless times through the millennia. He's watched through tears as mankind has hurt each other and, and spiraled further and further from his good plans. He's watched and he's wept, but he hasn't just sat there on his hands. 
2,000 years ago, God did something really weird as he watched mankind struggle through pain and betrayal and loss and, and misery and death and despair as he watched us struggle in that stuff. He left heaven where none of that goes on in the form of Jesus and he came to earth to join us in our pain. He chose to experience the suffering and the despair that we all experience and to put into motion a plan that would ultimately redeem a broken humanity and restore this messed up world and make all things new again. And this plan ends with Jesus coming back a second time to finish what he started on the cross and to finally and fully defeat Satan and sin and violence and hate and death and to separate those things from us forever. And John saw that day in a vision. He writes about it in Revelation 21. He writes, it will wipe, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All those things are gone forever. And Jesus said, look, I'm making everything new. So someday, Jesus will undo every sad thing that we've experienced. And he will remove the curse of death because he is life. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I fully understand the plan. And he may never take the time to explain why. He may never take the time to experience how the tears of these parents were some part of this amazing plan. Instead, he'll lift them up and he will wipe away their tears and he will heal their hurt. And he will undo this horrible thing. And we may never understand, and God may never explain the deaths of these innocent, sweet children, or the horror, or the fear, or the pain that they experienced. Instead, he's given them eternal life now in a place where there is no horror, or fear, or pain. Where is God when all of this horror and sadness are happening? He's crying over his children. And he is slowly executing a plan to redeem us and to restore us and to kill death forever. But again, it just brings up another question. What's the holdup, right? What's, what's he waiting for, man? When is it gonna happen? When will he put an end to all of this death? And the answer to this one's easy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm ready. I'm ready now. And I promise you, those parents in Uvalde are ready for justice to finally defeat injustice and for wrongs to finally be made right and for love to overpower hate and for light to overwhelm darkness and for life to finally kill death. I'm not sure what's taken so long. Second Peter 3, 9 says he's being patient for our sake. 
It says he doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everybody to repent. So it's like he's holding Jesus back until one more person gets saved. And I don't know how long he's going to wait. But I think this, this week and all of these things that are going on kind of remind us of how ready we are. So we wait. And, you know, Romans 8 compares it to the groaning and the pain of childbirth, right? I'm going through this horrible agony. I know it's going to be amazing, but I'm going through this horrible agony now. It says the whole world has been waiting. All of creation has been waiting for this day, groaning like it's in childbirth. It says that we're waiting with eager hope for the day when Jesus finally comes back and makes it all right. Here's a good practical question. We don't know when it's going to happen. What are we supposed to do while we wait? You know, we don't, we don't belong here. We don't belong in this broken, violent, hateful, messed up world. And eventually Jesus is going to come back and fix it. And he's going to restore God's kingdom and end this heartache and end this hate. But what are we supposed to do till then? And I think the Bible does give us some really good practical answers for this one. Um, the first one's a story in Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And you probably know the story, but God's people are going into exile in Babylon. And they're going to spend 70 years, a lifetime. They're going to spend a lifetime, 70 years in a dark, cold, violent, hateful world with pain and heartache and despair all around them. And he's going to rescue them at the end. But he's very clear in this lifetime, in this 70 years, you're going to be in a dark, ugly place. But he tells them not to spend it, not to spend this lifetime, this, this 70 years, not to spend this time in misery or fear or hate. Instead, this is Jeremiah 29, 5. He says, look, you're going to be in there. You're gonna, you're this, for this next 70 years, for this lifetime, you're going to be in this dark, horrible, painful place. And he says, so build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children and find spouses for them so you can have lots of grandchildren. Multiply. Work for the peace and prosperity of the place where I send you. And pray to me for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. God is saying, look, you're in this life. You're in this place for 70 years, and it is pretty ugly here. But you know what? Make the best of it. Enjoy your life. Build a house and plant a garden. Eat the stuff you produce. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your grandkids. Do all you can to make a difference where you are and pray for God's help. And look how he continues this. This is verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you the good things that I promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You ever heard that one? You ever heard that verse? Sometimes we misuse that verse a little bit, right? Sometimes we, oh, so God has a plan for me and it's a plan for good and that means everything's gonna go well for me. But that's not what it means. 
God's plan is not that we would never struggle in this world. God's, not, God's plan is not to take us out of hard things, even really hard things, even really hard things. God's plan is to eventually bring us home. And until then, he says, while we're here in Babylon, while we're here in this miserable hard life for 70 years, he says, in those days, in these days, in these days, when darkness is all around us, in these days, he says, when you pray, I'll listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. God is saying, even in this lifetime, even in this cold, dark, violent, incomprehensibly horrible world, he has not abandoned us. He hears our prayers and, and he, he wants us to look for him and he wants us to find him and he wants us to experience him, not just someday when things are better in the sweet by and by, here and, and now. So what are we supposed to do in this mess? We're supposed to enjoy our lives. We're supposed to build houses and plant gardens and eat the stuff we grow and love our families and try to make a difference here and pursue God and really try to find him and to get to him and to see him even in the darkness. And then Jesus added like another idea in Matthew 5. He said, we're to be the salt of the earth. We're to be the salt of this place. We're, we're to add, what, flavor and joy to the world around us. He said, we're the light of the world. So we should do good things here. We should do good things in this dark place. And for a reason, look what he says. Uh, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The light of God is so needed in this world. And it, it's supposed to shine through us. So I was thinking all week, like, what are we, what are we trying? Aren't you glad you're not a preacher? I, what are we trying to say, man? I mean, where are we going, you know? And here's what, I, here's what I wrote down. The brokenness and violence of this world do not reflect our good God. But we can the brokenness and violence of this world do not reflect God, but we can. We can shine a little of his light into this dark world, and I don't know what that looks like exactly for you, and maybe we each have to kind of work it out, but I just wrote down a couple of ideas, like how can we reflect the goodness of God in this dark world? How can we reflect the, the light of God in this dark place? And so I wrote down a couple. Um, one, Romans 12 says, grieve with those who grieve. And I'll tell you that nothing reflects God more than joining people in their pain. That's what he did, right? So we're not gonna fix these things for people, but we can walk it out with them, right? We can, we can grieve with them. How do, we, how do we reflect the light of God into this darkness? We can pray for God's peace, and for God's healing and for God's presence and comfort. I thought of something else this week too, just like I was hearing the story of this shooter and, and, and what he went through. And here's something we can do. 
we can look for broken people around us that are in poverty or abusive homes or people that are being belittled or people that are lonely, people that are mentally ill. And we can offer them healing and friendship and Jesus. And Satan's really good at what he does. And free will is a thing for sure. But I just have to wonder if it might have made a difference if this kid had really known the love of Jesus. So what can we do? I mean, we can share the love of Jesus with the broken people around us. And we can focus on healing instead of blame. I think that really reflects Jesus. Do you remember the story of the blind man and the disciples ask him, well, who, who's to blame for that? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? Whose fault is this? Who can we blame for this? And Jesus said, you know what? This isn't about blame. Let's focus on healing. And let's focus on glorifying God. So things are getting pretty angry right now and pretty political right now. And there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of people, I think, using these people's pain to like promote their own agenda and to give themselves a voice. A lot of people are getting into social media screaming contests. And they probably just want justice, I get it. I mean, that's, we need to do that. But maybe for right now, just to reflect Jesus. We should focus more on healing through prayer and loving each other. And then I know we all wanna do something tangible and obviously we can't fix what's broken for those people, right? But one way that we can share some love with those people would be to help them financially. So a great way to do that is um, HEB has set a thing up. I think we got the website up there. You can take a look. It's HEB.com slash donate. And we kind of check them out. That's a, that's a good way if you want to help. There's a lot of things popping up. Kind of hard to know who to trust. Seems like that's a good one. Um, and then I got one last question. Um, as this world is spiraling around us, um, how can we Christians have the strength to, to love and give and join these people in their pain? I mean, what's holding us up, right? What's, what's keeping us going? What can we depend on in this world of darkness and death and despair? And the answer is Jesus. I mean, he's good when the world's not good. And he's faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to him. And we can't depend on the goodness of people or the law or the government. We can't depend on things going well. We can't even depend on things going okay. But we can depend on the faithfulness of God. When everything is dark and scary and hard, and when everything around us is failing, he won't. Let's pray. God, it is just really dark out there. And God, I just pray that in this darkness, you will help us to see you clearly. Even in the dark, you'll help us to see who you really are and how you really feel and what you really love and what you really hate. God, I pray that in this darkness, we'll somehow be able to see you 
and that somehow you will empower us to live our lives like you told the people in Babylon to build our houses and plant our gardens and raise our kids and make a difference in our world and seek you even in the darkness. And God, I pray that you will empower us somehow to reflect your light into this dark world. And God, I pray for each one of us as we're trying to figure out just how to keep breathing and just how to keep moving forward, you'll just remind us that there is something that we can depend on, that there is something that we can have faith in, that there is something we can look to and know is sure and true and eternal, and that something is Jesus. God, I thank you that even when our lives are chaotic and scary and horrifying, we can know that Jesus doesn't change. Help us to put our faith in him. In his name, amen. You know, people like to ask this question at a time like this, where is God? Do you know where he is? He's in us. And he's given us peace and chaos. And he's giving us hope in a hopeless world. He's even given us joy when joy doesn't make sense. And he's empowering us to go out and reflect his light into this dark world. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.